This is Sean from Search for Meaning Oxford. We hold weekly conversations for people searching for answers to some of life's most important questions through reflections on the sacred writings of the Baha'i faith. Our events are free and open to everyone. Each week, we do a short roundup of the conversation we just had in this short podcast. Welcome to our series of podcasts called Reflections on the Life of the Spirit, which is based on the first book in the series from the Ruhi Institute, which we've been using in our weekly online meetings here in Oxford. In this episode, Chabnam Daniel and I read and discuss a series of quotations from the Baha'i writings on various core concepts concerning our identity and the spiritual reality of our existence. So this is the third episode of our series on Reflections of the Life of the Spirit. In this episode, we're looking at quotes in section three about kindliness and the dangers of conflict and contention in society. And the first quote is, A kindly tongue is the lodestone of the hearts of men. It is the bread of the spirit. It clotheth the words with meaning. It is the fountain of the light of wisdom and understanding. The first thing that jumps out at me in this quote is, is the word lodestone. It's not a word that you hear every day. In fact, when we were having a discussion about this quote, I had to ask what, what it meant. And uh, I discovered that it has this meaning of uh, being like a magnet. In that context, seeing that a kindly tongue is like, is like a magnet that attracts the hearts of people around us, really places a lot of importance on being kind when we speak. And that it's also the bread of the spirit so that the those words that we that we speak they actually sustain others and perhaps help them grow or perhaps fulfill something within them a necessary need just like bread would and i think one theme that's emerged quite strongly when we've been looking at these writings is the importance of encouragement and kindness and how that may in fact be one of the most important themes that emerge in the bahai writings is the importance of encouragement I think we all, like you said, we appreciate the importance of encouragement. And um, I guess when you're trying to be kind and in trying to encourage others, you're seeking out their good qualities. And this quote is also interesting when compared with the previous quotes which speak about truthfulness. So we need to be truthful in our language and in our communications, but we also need to be kind. And I think it's quite nice to have these two qualities which kind of balance each other. I love this idea of the bread of the spirit, that it feeds and nurtures the spirit. A kindly tongue is able to do that. And I think all of us recognise how encouragement builds us up, it strengthens us, it gives us power to do more, Um, whereas the opposite, criticism, brings us down. It deflates us, it takes away our energy. And so this idea that kindliness attracts others, but it also feeds them. It also nourishes them and us. I love that sort of positive impact, that kindliness, which seems like a sort of modest thing. It's not the same as truth. It's not the same as those sort of big foundational ideas, if you like, of truthfulness. But just kindliness is enough to feed us and raise us up and raise others up. So I'll read the next quote. O ye beloved of the Lord, in this sacred dispensation, conflict and contention 
are in no wise permitted. Every aggressor deprives himself of God's grace. Straight away, this quote, I think it stands out because the standard it sets, once again, is very high. To say that conflict and contention are in no wise permitted is a very strong statement, especially when often we speak about constructive criticism and we, we sometimes think that conflict can be helpful sometimes in, in solving a problem and it's sometimes encouraged and seen as almost a healthy expression of our, our feelings and our emotions. So um, it's interesting that here we're being very strongly discouraged against it. I also think that maybe this is the case because now we find ourselves in a position where we are capable of avoiding conflict. The position we find ourselves is in one where we have the tools to avoid conflict and to actually um, discuss and to consult things through um, in a more measured and calm way. So it's almost evolutionary that we've moved beyond the time when we only know how to fight over the animal that we've managed to kill or the, the basic territory that we have. And we've evolved societally to a point where we have the tools, we have the capacity, we have the insight to be able to consult and to be able to resolve things using our empathy and our understanding. And so this makes it absolutely clear that this conflict, this contention are actually now forbidden because we should have outgrown the need for those as that as a way of resolving things. There's something interesting at the end of this passage about how by doing this, not only is it not an effective means or indeed not a permitted means of resolving disagreements, but also the damage that it does to us, ourselves. The aggressor deprives himself of God's grace. We often use metaphors to understand the spiritual world. We use sort of physical metaphors uh, as a means of understanding these sort of spiritual truths, these spiritual ideas. And it's rather like taking ourselves away from the light of the sun. And if we do that, it isn't that the sun has moved away from us. It isn't that we're being punished by the sun switching off its rays. It's that the consequence of our actions, us behaving in this way, it's like us taking ourselves away from the light of the sun and, and depriving ourselves of the ability to receive the warmth and the nourishment of the rays of the sun, in this case, God's grace. So I think these words here in this quote, sacred dispensation, and this sacred dispensation needs a bit of attention and perhaps a bit of explaining, because here Baha'u'llah is referring to his own revelation, which sets the moral standard for, for humanity in this age. And it's quite common when people even hear the word religion, they associate it immediately with some kind of conflict and contention. This quote takes on a different kind of power in that context, where, in fact, the statement is that every, every aggressor deprives himself of God's grace. So removing conflict and contention from that context. I'll read the next quote. Nothing whatever can, in this day, inflict a greater harm upon this cause than dissension and strife, contention, estrangement and apathy among the loved ones of God. The first thing that strikes me about this quote is that how we go about achieving something matters fundamentally to whether or not we can achieve it. And so in a very practical way, 
the ends absolutely does not justify the means. We're told in this quote that the worst thing that can happen to this cause, and by this cause I think means the goals of the Baha'i faith, the goals of the Baha'i revelation, nothing can inflict a greater harm upon this endeavor than any form of disagreement ranging from the extreme of dissension and strife, but all the way down to just contention or even estrangement or even just apathy. And any one of those is fundamentally at odds with the goals and the accomplishment of the goals of the Baha'i faith. Here's the next quote. Do not be content with showing friendship in words alone. Let your heart burn with loving kindness for all who may cross your path. For our hearts to burn with loving kindness for everyone, it just seems so difficult. We're almost trained to be suspicious of other people until we've gained their trust. But what this quote seems to be saying is that our heart burning with loving kindness for others, that should be our point of departure, that should just be our mode of of operation. And and in our call, um, one person said that we should kind of be impulsively friendly and not be suspicious of, of others and, and see people as more than the function that they serve for us and think about all the good qualities that they could possibly possess. And this would be, this would maybe help us in being more loving in our interactions with other people. So I love how in this section, this quote establishes this principle of loving kindliness and establishes it in the extreme case of anyone who comes across your path in the same way that in the previous section, the principle of being just and and truthful in our actions was to be established even in the condition that we're dying of hunger and, and our neighbours are vile and worthless. So I think it's sort of really helpful for us that these quotes establish these not as pragmatic ideas that are nice to be applied when it suits us, but actually as fundamental principles that can be applied in any circumstance and under any condition. And in fact, they become the basic building blocks for society, if only we could see them in that way, and if only we understood them. I think a very, very small word in this quote that sort of means a lot to me is just the word that says, let your heart burn with loving kindness. And to me, this has always meant it's not something that maybe uh, I have to plan that much. I just have to let it happen. You know, don't worry about it too much. Just let it happen. It's natural. It's natural to show loving kindness to all who, who may cross our path. Hopefully it comes naturally anyway. We also talked about how you could do this. How could you have this loving kindness for someone that you don't know? You don't know their qualities. You don't know their personality. You don't know their deeds. So how do you find that? And I think the first thing you've said, Daniel, which is lovely, which is that that's a natural condition. Our hearts are naturally burning with love. Um, We just have to let them do that. And the other is what it is that we see when we see that person who crosses our path. If we see them only as a function of their achievements and their, you know, what we know of them and what their quality and character is and what we judge them to be, and then we decide whether or not we're going to love them, then it's very hard to do this. 
But if we see their reality as being from God and being divine in nature, then it's that that we love in them. We don't have to know the ephemeral things about them. They don't really matter. What really matters is the light that is inside the lamp. And we don't need to get distracted by the lamp. We just need to see the light inside them, which is divine, which is from God. And that we can love wherever it manifests itself, in whatever person who happens to be crossing our path, because it's there in everyone. So the final quote in this section is, when a thought of war comes, oppose it by a stronger thought of peace. A thought of hatred must be destroyed by a more powerful thought of love. I think this this quote takes on a special significance in a world where so many subjects are viewed through conflict. Very often we see the escalation of conflict, a disagreement becomes this kind of blazing fire and and it just goes on and on. We've, we've seen it go from, from generation to generation. All around us, we can see this. And in this quote, there's a very kind of clear solution that when there's a thought of war, oppose it with a stronger thought of peace. It's not even uh, enough for it to be an equal thought. It has to be a stronger, a stronger thought. That concept of kind of overwhelming hatred with a more powerful thought of love. I think it's extremely powerful in the context of conflict, whether it be conflict within a, within a family or a conflict due to any other kind of difference that, that people may have. It takes an effort to overcome negative emotions. And uh, this gives us kind of a blueprint of how to do that. Going on from that, we learn that it's not enough just to try and banish a thought of hatred or a um, or a thought of war because... It's very difficult to get rid of one thing unless we substitute it with something positive. And perhaps that's why it's also really important to seek out the positive qualities in others in order to be able to substitute these thoughts of hatred with a thought of love and really, as you said, Daniel, make this effort um, constantly so that these positive qualities can overpower um, the negative ones. So that brings to a close this section with quotes on the importance of unity and the dangers of conflict and contention. Next week's quotes are on the subject or in another way in which this manifests itself in society, in another very practical way in which we can ensure and protect that uh, loving and trustworthy environment, which is the dangers of backbiting. And we'll uh, take a look at those quotes next week. So that brings this section of Reflections on the Life of the Spirit to a close. Please join us next week when we explore quotations from the next section. And please visit our Facebook page, Search for Meaning Oxford, 